Oh, Heavenly Father, we ask that the miracle of Jesus Christ might now be preached and taught and that he might come to us through the Holy Spirit. We might behold him in our hearts, behold him, Father, in all his glory and behold him as the crucified and risen Lamb, Messiah, Prophet, Priest and King. Father, we ask, have mercy on my weaknesses, on our weaknesses to hear and come to us and strengthen our faith in you, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Some of you weren't here for last week. I know that uh, the boarders weren't here. So last week's sermon was on Jesus and the temptation in the wilderness. And we saw that Satan was trying to derail Jesus from journeying to the cross. And he did that by trying to tempt him to give up on us, to give up on being the true human being. So when Jesus actually triumphs over Satan, he triumphs over him as a true man. That is, he draws upon all the resources of the Father, he lives as a man filled with the Holy Spirit, he relies upon the Word of God and he does what the first Adam didn't do. The first Adam, when tempted, well, we all sinned with him. Someone once said, when Adam sinned, we all clapped our hands and we all enjoyed it with him. But Jesus has come as the new man to rescue us and in this week's reading, he is the true prophet. And as you'll see, Christ the true prophet, his journey to Jerusalem, But what if I said his journey to Jerusalem is a journey to the cross and that's your journey. His journey is your journey. You can't actually separate what Jesus is going to do from us. So in Luke 13, we read these words. And at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. Now, I've underlined the word kill because of the nature of what is said elsewhere. And he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following for it cannot be that a prophet should perish or die away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. What does this mean? Well, what it means is this, is that all the Old Testament prophets went to God's people to tell them to turn towards God in repentance and faith. And at Jerusalem, You had the place of worship, the temple. You had the sacrifices. And you would think that if a prophet went to a place of worship or he went to God's people to bring God's message, he'd be welcomed, wouldn't you? You would say, we welcome this man because he's bringing us God's word. Wrong. A prophet speaks directly from God into the human situation of the heart. So much so that the word that he speaks is the word of God himself. 
And the only way that you can silence that word from coming to you is to kill the messenger. It's a very, very wonderful privilege to be a prophet but it's also very scary in one sense because you know the words you're going to speak are going to actually become, come to deal with the human heart. And the human heart is a master at covering up. If I was to say to you, what's the most deceitful thing in all the world? Would you think it is the human heart? It's the mo- as is, Jeremiah says that. The most deceitful thing in all the world is the human heart. And we suffer from that deceit because every time we sin, what do we do? We seek to cover up our tracks, make sure we don't get caught out. None of you kids here would know anything about that, would you? Because when you do wrong, you automatically come out and just say it was me and you confess it, don't you? Well, as a young child, you actually go around and you really hope you don't get caught out. You really hope that what you've done doesn't come to the surface. Well, when you're an adult, you become a sophisticated, you become sophisticated at it. You've actually mastered it. And you put on this facade in front of people that there's actually nothing really wrong. Well, a prophet comes and says this, God knows your heart. God sees into your heart. And that's what they did. And Jesus was nonetheless doing these things. And in the book of Luke, he uses the word the city of Jerusalem 90 times. Now, only preachers look up those things. No one else is going to read those facts. But there's a reason why he uses it 90 times. Everywhere else in the Bible or the rest of the New Testament, it's only used 40 times. Because Jerusalem is the place of religious pride. It's the centre of the abuse of God's beautiful gift to Israel of the temple. It's the abuse of all the things that God gave. They are, they are religiously abusing God's good gifts. They shouldn't have been doing that, but they were. And Jesus has actually come a lot like the prophets to say these words. Your worship stinks. Can you imagine that? Your worship is not right. Your worship is wrong. And that word's not a very popular word. And so what God is doing in Jesus Christ is he's coming and he's actually uncovering these things But as Jesus Christ comes to uncover them, he actually uncovers them as the revelation of God. So if you were to see Jesus eating, if you were to see Jesus drinking, if you were to see Jesus walking and you were to see Jesus speaking, who would you be looking at? God himself. So Jesus is more than just like an Old Testament prophet. He is the one who reveals God as a man. Now, Martin Luther says this, and I'm going to try and put it in our terms. We have a thirst. We have a thirst for things like fame. He uses the word glory. We have a thirst for power. We have a thirst for money. 
But that thirst, he says, is actually never satisfied when you get all of those things. So if you get power, you get fame, it doesn't satisfy you. In fact, the more we get, the more we want. Now, the only answer to that never-ending desire for thirst is that God extinguishes it. He puts it to death on a cross. Now, that thirst that you have in your heart, and I'm not talking about a drinking of water or of anything like that because it's a hot day, but it's the thirst more than likely to be someone. The thirst to try and actually not just be someone, but actually be better than the person next to you. Do you know that's what pride is? Pride is actually the desire not to be good, but to actually be better at everything than the person next to you. And so can you imagine spending all of your life trying to be better than the person next to you? And they reckon with people who are really good looking, and I wouldn't know anything about that, but people who are really good looking actually look around in the room to see if anyone's better looking than them. What a slavery! Can you imagine that? You're looking around the room to see if there's anyone hotter than you in the room. You're all laughing, aren't you? You know something of that being true. And that's the kind of thirst and the hunger that we have in our human heart. Now the thing about Jesus was this. He didn't come with the message of the world. That The message of the world says what? You can do that. So recently on an a, a education TV advertisement, one famous footballer is sitting in an education room and he's encouraging kids to go to school. You know who it is if you've seen the ad. I won't mention his name in case I get sued. But at the end of the program, there's a little clip that says, the destiny is in your hands. That comes from the devil. That's not from God. This is what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying these things straight to people. You go and tell that fox Herod, Jesus spoke very plainly. You could understand him. In fact, you could understand him so much that you could either throw him off a cliff or seek to crucify him. Pastor, pastor, can you make the sermon easier? It's a common cry. No, Jesus speaks very plainly. I don't think it's a lack of understanding. You think they didn't understand the prophets? Sorry, we stoned you and killed you, but we didn't understand your word. No, very plainly, people understand. So when the Pharisees come warning him that Herod wants to kill him, Jesus says, no, I'm going to die, not at your time, King Herod. I'm going to die in God's time. I'm going to die in God's way. Jesus is God's way. Jesus is God's time. And to call Herod a fox is to say that he is neither a great man nor a straight man. That's what one commentator says. So no one is in control of your destiny. Jesus is saying, destiny belongs to me and to my Father. 
So as Jesus journeys to Jerusalem, they want to silence him. They want to quiet him. Now you know how they're going to quiet him, don't you? They're going to kill him. But you need to listen very carefully to this point. Jesus' journey to the cross is not simply as a messenger. He's not going to the cross just as a prophet. He's actually going to the cross as God's message. See, the killing of Jesus actually opens up a never-ending voice. You murder Jesus, he gets crucified for your sins. Fancy that. So we're going to kill him, but as we kill him, there our sins are laid on him. There he conquers our sins. There he overcomes death. There he overcomes the world. There he overcomes the devil. And he rises, and rather than him being silenced, you have the gospel. So rather than silencing him in death, we end up with Jesus Christ and him crucified being the message. So that in the very city of Jerusalem where the people turned on Jesus and killed him, Peter gets up and proclaims these words. And you need to listen to these words carefully. I haven't got them on the screen. This Jesus whom you crucified and killed at the hands of lawless men. Here's another prophet. Is he mixing his words? Not at all. Listen to it again. This Jesus whom you crucified and killed at the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing him from the pangs of death and the people were cut to the heart and said, what should we do brothers and sisters? And Peter said, repent of your sins, being baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What did they get for killing Jesus? They got saved. They got saved for murder. They got saved because Jesus rose again and he comes back and he preaches through Peter. So when Peter opens his lips, Jesus Christ comes and when Jesus Christ comes to those who have murdered him, he blesses them. He blesses them with the word of forgiveness, the gift of repentance and the gift of the forgiveness of sins. What happens when you kill this prophet? You get a gospel. See, the blood that came from Jesus' veins, you remember Calvary's cross, when that blood was shed, it is more powerful than the sins that nailed him to the tree. You need to know that. You need to know this, that no matter what your heart schemes to do, no matter how much your heart has done wickedness, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin and the blood of Jesus Christ will never fail you ever. The blood of Jesus Christ will never fail you. That means a lot, doesn't it? That means 
that you can do some very wretched and terrible things. And when Jesus meets you, what does he say to you? Bless you, my children, you are forgiven all of your sins. Now, you either stand as an enemy of the cross, that's, how, that's Paul's words in Philippians, or you stand with Jesus in his message. There are many who remain enemies of the cross, says Paul, because they glory in their shame, their belly is their God, and their minds are on earthly things. To be an enemy of the cross is to be chasing a never-ending thirst for power, for money, human fame, religious fame. See, to be an enemy of the cross is to say this, I am going to make it. I am going to build myself up. Are you hearing that message? Are you hearing it? Because it's through the world. You can do it. At that point, you're an enemy of the cross if you believe that. Because the cross tells us what? You cannot do it. You cannot make it. God has made it for you. So has your thirst, really, has your thirst been quenched from those things? And the only way it can be quenched is by the gift of the Holy Spirit in the forgiveness of all of your sins. So that when you drink in God's love, when you drink in His forgiveness, your heart begins to be satisfied with Christ. He who comes to me, says Jesus, and he who believes on me shall never hunger and shall never thirst. When you trust Jesus in that way and your heart is satisfied, you actually obey the first commandment. You have no other gods before you. So I want to encourage us in this to journey with Jesus now for you who know the message, for you who have trusted the message, it's suffering. Some of you are trusting in Jesus, some of you are journeying with him now and you're in a place where you're meeting darkness. That's because you're in Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you who are journeying with Jesus Christ that you stand with a maligned prophet and you will be maligned. But take heart because it's in that malignment, it's in that hatred, it's in that persecution, it's in that darkness that Jesus will shine through you the most. Take heart as you journey with him into the sufferings of the world that he goes with you, he goes in you and he will do that work for you. Do not give up, brothers and sisters, because it gets hard. It's only hard because you are in Him and you're journeying with Him. The Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, 
Do not let anything move you from your crucified and risen Messiah, my beloved. And you will be a living witness, a living revelation to the world in your workplace of Jesus Christ and Him crucified for the sins of the world. And that's the greatest thing you can ever be, to be a living image of Christ. It's dangerous. Yes, it's very dangerous. But journey with Him, it's also very joyful. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.